control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So today we're going to talk a little bit about fruit. Fruit is very important. Before we get started, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 1. As most of you Bible fans know, there is an agricultural theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. The purpose being that, you know, that's how God identified with Israel. Israel was a, an agrarian nation. There are warring nations and there are agrarian nations, and Israel was definitely an agrarian nation. They had their entire calendar revolved around their seasons. They're, um, you know, planting, harvesting, so uh, anyway, Genesis chapter 1, look in verse 11. It says, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. So so there's this thing, this agriculture that God created in the beginning. We take it for granted, right? But I think it's pretty amazing, pretty ingenious that you have different types of plants and they produce seed. And that seed is after the kind of plant. So like if you had an apple tree, it wouldn't be producing seed for a cherry tree, right? It would produce seed after its kind. And that seed is for it to continue to, you know, its offspring could grow and grow and grow down through the ages. The land produces vegetation of fruit. The seed bear uh, and bear seed according to the kind that will later be generations of that plant, just like in the animal kingdom. And God saw that it was good, and it was meant as a blessing for humanity in the beginning. But when it did come, man fell uh, from God's grace. This fall of mankind affected the progress of the, the world and this generation of plants. Uh, we know from Romans chapter 8 that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So the fall not only affected mankind, but it also affected the creation, right? In Genesis 3, if you look over there, Genesis 3, look in verse 17, it says, To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So something cataclysmic happened, okay? God produced these plants in the beginning. There was no effort. You just went around and picked your plant or your fruit or your vegetable. It was all good. And then something happened and we had thorns and thistles and we had working by the sweat of your brow. You see that? So something changed here. Instead of plush abundance of fruit, mankind was forced to toil and he had to contend with these thorns and thistles. Go to Hebrews chapter six, Hebrews chapter six. And in verse 7, it says, Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessings of God. Isn't that wonderful? So God still intends for us to be blessed by this agricultural produce, 
right? But then it goes on, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. So you still have these two different crops, right? The blessings of God and the thorns and thistles. Go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature he will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Okay, so are we talking strictly agriculture now? No, we're using a metaphor, aren't we? This is a metaphor. And this is what is known as the law of compensation, right? That there is a cause and effect within the spiritual realm, okay? That what a man sows is what a man reaps. And you can't change that. That's what it means by God is not mocked, meaning you're never going to change this. You may have different cultures. You may have different languages. You may have different races. You may have different interests, right? But... If you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit, you shall reap spiritual blessings, right? That's how it works. So cause and effect, and that's an important key to keep in mind. Our thoughts, what we sow in our minds and the thoughts that we hold, our words, what we sow in our speech by the things that we say, and our actions, what we sow in our lives by what we choose to do. That's what it means by sowing. We are sowing to the spirit or we are sowing to the flesh. It's one or the other. Cause and effect. So when we talk about this first, we're talking about what seed is being sown, right? I could have a bag of good seed and a bag of bad seed. And it's up to me. Now, it's usually a mixed bag, isn't it, for all of us? Some days I'm sowing a lot of good seed, a little bad seed, but mostly good seed. Other days, a lot of bad seed. And what do we do when we're sowing bad seed? We repent and we get back on the on the horse here, right? It's important that we keep this in mind. Either we're going to have a blessed crop or we're going to have thorns and thistles. Go to Matthew chapter 12, Matthew 12, verse 33. It says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. People out there who say a lot of things. They have good words and fair speeches, it says in the Bible. They deceive the hearts of the simple. But the Bible tells us that a person, a tree, is known by its fruit. Which means that you've got to have the ability to keep your head in the moment. To be able to step outside the situation and look at the fruit. And Corey and I were talking about this earlier, about being fruit inspectors. It's important in every situation, excuse me, that you have the ability to step outside the situation and look objectively at the fruit that's in the situation. And this is a fundamental truth for wisdom, that you're looking at fruit. Go to Matthew chapter 13. This is a parable that we're all familiar with. Matthew 13, look in verse 3. It says, Then he, Jesus, told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed 
fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. You look down at verse 18. The disciples came to Jesus and said, what does this mean? And in verse 18, it says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone who hears the message of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed that is sown along the path. Okay, so you remember that, right? Okay, so that which falls on the path, it there's no place for it to grow, right? And what happens? The evil one comes along and takes it away. Those are the people that don't understand what's being taught, okay? This happens a lot in this world. When you speak the word to somebody and they just don't get it. Okay, well, that's how it is. 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky ground or rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he had no root, he lasts only a short time. Now, how many people have seen this happen where somebody will come to fellowship and they'll be loving it, right? It's just the greatest thing they ever heard. They're excited. Every time you speak the word to them, they're like, oh, give me more, give me more. And then all of a sudden you can't find them for dust, right? They're, they're no longer around. And, you know, you kind of start scratching your head and said, gee, was it something I said? It's not. That a person who is in the second category is somebody who will receive that word with joy, but will fall away. It happens. Verse 22, the one who received the word that fell among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. You know, I was thinking about this too, and I've made this point before that, you know, we can start off in a the good category of the word, receiving the word, and, and then fall to these le- lesser areas. That I can allow the troubles of my life to enter in and choke out the word in my life. That just because at one time I was the good ground doesn't mean that I'm always going to be the good ground. Verse 23, but the one who receives the seed that fell on the good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Okay, so we've all heard this parable a lot of times, but why do we keep teaching it? Because we all need to hear it again and again and again. And why is that? Because life changes, life changes. Go to John chapter 15. Look at verse 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will bring even more fruit. Okay, so God here is the gardener, and God is taking care of his garden. Now, people who grow plants will tell you the importance of pruning, and the importance of pruning is this. If you want a good, healthy plant, you've got to cut off the unhealthy branches. Why is that? Well, if you think about it, the unhealthy branches are sucking the growing potential and energy of that plant and really producing nothing, right? It's just wasting energy. So it's important that they are cut off so they're not sapping the strength of the other good, healthy branches. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch 
can bear fruit of itself. Does everybody understand what that means? That means that a vine, this is a vine that he's talking about, this is a branch off the vine, that branch cannot produce fruit of itself. If you went up to a grapevine and you cut off one of its branches, would it continue to produce fruit? No, of course not. That means that we need to keep ourselves tight with the vine. Who's the vine? Jesus. That's right. No branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So that's talking about the union that we have with Christ. You know, when we're born again, we have this union with Christ, but that's not the end of the discussion, is it? That we have a relationship that we have to maintain. And there are decisions that we have to make in our lives on maintaining that relationship, right? Verse 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Is that clear? So if you want God's fruit, spiritual fruit in your life, you have got to stay connected with Jesus. Satan's great temptation is what? That we are going to go off and rely upon ourselves, right? That we will make ourselves our sufficiency. So it's important for us to keep that in mind. Without Christ, we can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So God loves it when we bear much fruit. You know, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about God. God's up there and he's putting you through hoops to make you, to see how fit you are, how capable you are. And if you miss, mess up, he's going to slam you. Is that our God? No. Our God is a gardener. Our God is cultivating his garden. He's helping that garden to bear much fruit. That's the design of being a gardener. My wife had a garden last year with mixed reviews, <laughs> but the biggest thrill was when she had fruit. She now has a banana plant out there. This thing is huge, and it's producing bananas. Yeah, I know. It's a big deal. She's thrilled. Well, that's how God is with the fruit that we produce in our lives. God gets a kick out of it. He loves it. He wants to see more fruit in our lives. So this is, uh, this is important. Genuine fruit and not virtue signaling is what God is looking for. That's what God's looking for. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and do what? Bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Isn't that something? So it's Christ's expectation 
that it is his appointment that we go and bear much fruit. And not only that, but it's lasting fruit. It's fruit that sticks around, right? It's the kind of fruit that you build families on. You feel, build friendships on. You build marriages on. Go to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. And look in verse 1. Blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Okay? Isn't that beautiful? It's not just something that he does once in a while. It's something that he does all the time, day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And I love that. It yields its fruit in its season, okay? There are periods of time, and we've all all had them, where you're just doing the right thing every day, but it doesn't seem like there's much of a payoff, right? You're doing it, you're doing it, you're doing it, and you're like, uh, okay. And then all of a sudden, one day you wake up and it's boom, you've got tons of fruit. Think about it, and I've made this point before in fellowship. You know, it takes years to grow an apple tree, and it takes, what, 20 minutes to chop it down? So it really means that we have to pay attention and we have to stay faithful. That's an important point. I wrote down here, it is important who we fellowship with. It's important who we fellowship with. Sometimes we need to prune some of our friends because they're not influencing us well. You know, when I'm at work, I have, I can't really choose who I work with. You know, there are people uh, I associate with at work because of uh, professional requirements, right? But I can certainly determine how intimate I become with people. And that's an important point. Corey reminded me of a teaching I did a long time ago where I, you know, you have a series of concentric circles, you know, if you can picture this, you know, you have a circle in the middle and then another circle and another circle and another circle. Those can represent your relationships that you have with different people. You know, the people at the very center are my core. It's my family. It's the fellowship, you know, people that I would share my heart with. And then progressively, as I go further and further away from the center, that those are other relationships I have. You know, when we read in Corinthians about not being unequally yoked with unbelievers, what does that mean? Does that mean I don't talk to them? No, that's not what that's saying at all. It's saying that I don't entrust my heart to these people. How could I? How could I? I mean, if you think about that, we trust God. And, and, and I can share my heart with people who understand my heart, <laughs> which is you, but further and further. But it's important for us that sometimes we have people in an inner circle that should be on a circle even further out, that they are way too close to our counsel, you know, our deeper counsel. And we need to have a change. And I was thinking, well, why why do we do that? Why do we allow people in? And I was thinking, you know, sometimes we have our, you know, and I've, I've brought this up before in our fellowship, we have political affiliations. We say, ah, okay, well, uh, you know, he may not be, you know, the greatest Christian in the world, but, you know, he's he's doing the right thing, so he's okay. Well, that's not what the Bible says. I'm sorry. That's not what the Bible says. Now, certainly, everybody's not a minister of Christ, okay? And we we recognize that. But we need to see things as they are and not as we wish them to be, okay? If a person is a thug, he's a thug, whether he's got the right, you know, initial before his name, R or D. 
Does that make sense, everybody? And I think that's important for us to keep in mind. We need to look at fruit, fruit, fruit. It's important for us to do that. Look in First uh, Corinthians chapter 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. How close are we allowing certain people to our inner circle? And we need to think about that. And we need to think about pruning some friends. Okay? It's important for us. Verse 4. Not so the wicked. This is Psalm 1. In verse 4, it says, Not so the wicked. They are, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay? We don't want to associate with the wicked. Right? Not at all. Go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5. You know, I tell you, uh, the the things that I value in my life, one of the greatest things that I value are my friends more than money. I don't know how you guys feel, but my friends are dear to me. And I think that's the way it should be. I mean, think of how Jesus just said earlier, no greater love has a man than he would lay down his life for his friends. Friends. So we need to pay attention to who our friends are. I think, uh, you know, sometimes, especially in our culture now, um, friendship is, is cheapened, right? People that are mere associates have become friends, right? Our Facebook friends. <laughs> oh, we're friends. No, no, you're not. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. It says, for of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Right? No more immoral, impure, or greedy person has an inheritance. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Therefore, do not be partners with them. Is that clear? Clear. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Do not be partners with them, right? You know, I think about it. You know, if somebody's going to be my friend, I shouldn't be embarrassed about bringing them home to meet my family, should I? And, uh, you know, People say, well, you know, I have my beer drinking friends. Well, are your beer drinking friends really friends? Are they bringing out the best in you? If you're embarrassed to bring them home to meet your wife, then there's a problem there, right? Go to Leviticus chapter 26. Plus, you know, I mean, I've, my wife and I have been married long enough that I value her opinion and I want her to meet my friends because oftentimes she has a perspective that I may not be seeing, right? And my wife is crystal clear when she doesn't like what she sees. <laughs> danger, danger. Is <laughs> Leviticus 26. But you know, that should be the way it is, right? And husbands as well. I mean, I can I can see a guy who's got that look in his eye when he looks at my wife. I'm like, uh, better watch out, pal. Uh, verse 1, 26 verse 1, it says, Do not make idols or set up images or sacred stones for yourselves, and do not place a carved stone in your land to bow down before it. I am the Lord your God. Observe my Sabbath and have reverence for my sanctuary I am the Lord. I love this, right? I love this. Have reverence for my sanctuary. Well, how does that translate to us? Well, have reverence for the word of God in your home and in your life, right? 
have reverence for that sanctuary, that thing that is true for you and for your family. You know, I love that verse. We all read it. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said that, right? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It goes on in verse 3. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in the season, and the ground will yield its crop, and the trees will yield their fruit. How about that? Isn't that wonderful? And that's based on obedience, right? Obedience, that we obey God. And when we obey God, he blesses us. It goes on in verse 5. Your threshing will continue until grape harvest and grape harvest will continue until planting, and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in your land. I will grant you peace in the land, and you will lie down, and no one will make you afraid. I will remove savage beasts from the land, and the sword will not pass through your country. You will pursue your enemies, and they will fall by the sword before you. Five of you will chase a hundred, and a hundred of you will chase 10,000, and your enemies will fall by the sword before you. I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers, and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you will have to move it out of the way to make room for the new. <laughs> Isn't that great? That you have so much prosperity that you have to move last year's food over because you got new food coming in. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I love that. And that's just basically God saying, look, remember my covenant and do it. This is talking to Israel, right? Go to Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah 5. This is a little more sober here. Look in verse 1, Isaiah 5, 1. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. And just a reminder, I've, I've taught this in fellowship too. These vines are ancient vines, right? I mean, they're passed down from generation to generation to generation. They've been around for hundreds of years, these, these vines. And so here is a guy who built this vineyard and planted these choice vines, choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. He looked for justice, but saw bloodshed for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. You know, I, I read this section of scripture, and I, I can't help but think about this country and what a righteous nation we once were. And God bless this land. And then I think about it today and how unrighteous it is. 
and we just can't afford to make the mistake to think that there's really much righteousness in this country anymore. It has the potential, certainly, doesn't it? It was built on a wonderful foundation. I love everything that this country used to stand for. But remember what I said earlier, we need to see things as they are and not as we wish them to be. You can't help anything unless you love it. And I love this country. I don't love what it's doing. I don't love the fruit. The fruit is bad. It's bad fruit. And we need to call it for what it is as spiritual men and women, because we're never going to be able to do anything to help it. Yeah, You've heard about, you know, looking at life through rose colored glasses. Well, we can't afford to do that. We need to see that this country is in desperate trouble. Go to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Now, we've had this explained to us, right? The the fig tree, you would you would wonder, well, if it was an agrarian society and Jesus grew up in this society, he would know that there's no fruit on the tree right now. But that's not the whole story here. The whole story is he would see that this was the time when you can expect to find these little buds on these fig trees. And they were, you know, a minister in the past had referred to it like little candies. And you go up there and you get these little buds off of there and you could chew on them, right? The buds were also an indication of future growth, weren't they? So if you saw these buds on there, you knew that this fig tree was going to produce fruit, right? But when he got up there, he saw no buds. Verse 14, then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit of from you again. Now that seems a little harsh, isn't it? Well, let's read on. Look at verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you of the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Okay, so this is a, kind of a perplexing story, but it's simple when you understand that the, the fig tree was representative of what? Anybody know? The nation of Israel. Exactly. It was indicative of the nation of Israel. And Jesus walked up and looked and it was not bearing fruit. And so he cursed it and it dried up from the the bottom up, right? So we read, you know, back on the 4th of July that it was uh, Benjamin Franklin who said that God is involved in the affairs of men. God understands countries. Countries rise. And he said, how did he say it? If, if God knows no Pharaoh falls to the ground without God knowing it, how could we think that he doesn't know it when countries are rising and countries are falling? So it's important that our country bear fruit. Last week, we talked about intercession, right? Interceding for you know, cities, for people, for countries. We need to intercede for this country. We need to intercede. Our country is in decline quickly, very quickly. Go to Jeremiah 23. You know, I always think about the prophet standing on the corner with the, you know, the sandwich sandwich sign on him. <laughs> you know, beware, you know, the end is near. <laughs> I hope I don't sound that way. I, I hope you don't take it that way. I hope you take this as a sober message and one that I keep coming back to over and over again every time I open up the Bible. This is uh, this is what the church needs to be involved in. The church is screwing around like the church always screws around in times of crisis because they can't see beyond the end of their nose because the prophets are not prophesying, right? 
That was always my question. What? Where was the church prior to World War II? Doing what the church does best, screws around, fighting amongst each other, and not focusing on the things of God. I tell you what, if the church had been consolidated in Germany before World War II, Hitler would have never rose to power. I'll guarantee it. Jeremiah 9, verse 23. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his strength, or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. I am Yahweh who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Man, is that, does that give you goosebumps? It really gives me goosebumps. That our God is a God that exercises kindness and justice and righteousness. You know, I was thinking about this again today. If you come across a person who tries to convince you that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are not the same, that the God of the Old Testament was a moral monster, <laughs> run. <laughs> run. God, the God of the Old Testament exercised kindness and justice and righteousness. And the God of the Old Testament and the God of the two New Testament are the very same. Verse 25, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh. Now, does, do you understand what that means? That this means that they may be Israelites by birth, but they aren't circumcised in the heart. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the desert in distant places. And for all these nations, uh, for all these nations are really uncircumcised, and even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. How about that? And I think this is a call to the Christian body as a whole in this country is we need to get circumcised in the heart. Uh, this Christianity is not just another political organization. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. This country needs the Spirit of God. It needs the Spirit of God. Look at verse 13. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. How about that? Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Right? The fruit matches the plant or the tree. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. There's uh, there was a term that was used a lot during the founding of this this country. It was the duty of private judgment. It was also used a lot in the Reformation. But the duty of private judgment, that each one of us has our own mind, and we can all make up our own mind regardless of what everybody around us is saying. We don't have to, you know, look to the our political party and say, well, uh, what do you think? Or, you know, even to our, our group here, although, you know, I take a lot of counsel and my friends, I do. But, you know, ultimately, when it gets right down to it, my mind is between me and the Lord. Does that make sense, everybody? And I and I this I can't stress the importance of that. We have got to strive to be independently minded. The duty of private judgment. Go to Galatians chapter five, Galatians five. Satan is always wanting to usurp your judgment and you got to deny him. 
Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Isn't that great? Now, not so obvious to the senses man, necessarily, but very obvious to the spiritual man, spiritual person, right? The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, and they are these. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Boy, that sounds like a good time on a Saturday night, right? (laughs) I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that clear? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. You can't produce this fruit by the will of the flesh, right? You can't make yourself produce it. It's like you can't go out into your garden, my wife will attest to this, and plant a zucchini and stand over it and say, grow! It grows as it's supposed to, right? Your will has no influence over that plant. Well, it's the same with the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Your will has no influence over that fruit. It's growing or it's not, right? And it will grow when you do what? Sow to the Spirit. Remember what we read earlier? As you sow to the Spirit, you will grow fruit. Verse 24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh or the sinful nature with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. How about that? I love that phrase, don't you? That we stay in step with the Spirit. Have you ever seen a a group of troops marching, right? And when they're in perfect step, you know who does it really well? The Chinese. They are great marchers. Have you ever seen them in parades? And they do the duck step, which isn't easy to do. But they're marching, and they are in perfect step. And have you ever seen where somebody gets out of step? You see one head in the middle popping up. (laughs) Well, that's how it is with us, spiritually, that we are in step with the Spirit, that we are marching like soldiers, if you can get that, that thought in your brain. It says in verse 26, let us not be conceited, provoking and envying one another. That should not be what church is all about, should it? You go to church and you get provoked. I've been to churches like that, where people are being provoked in a bad way. That's just not the way it is. So we're going to be ending up here in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. And in verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. This is what Paul is saying to the Colossians. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We should do that for one another, shouldn't we? Right? Praying for one another that we were we would be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. How about that? This isn't what you can get away with. You know, we're not living lives as Christians on, you know, trying to figure out what we can get away with doing. That's selfishness, isn't it? We live lives where we can be worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Isn't that beautiful? So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for that. Father, we thank you for the blessings that you've given us, that you 
you've just abundantly poured fruit into our lives through Christ. So, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for fruit-filled lives and, Father, just abounding within our hearts that, Father, as we know you and know your Son, Jesus Christ, that it's the greatest joy we could ever have. Thank you for blessing this fellowship. Thank you for blessing this country. In your Son's name, Jesus Christ, amen. Kindness, goodness. 